So in this year, we are uh, continuing Be'ezus Hashem from yesterday, from the previous year. Yesterday ended up being mostly a uh, very general and broad introduction and background to this topic, to this uh, sugya. So I don't really want to give a lengthy recap, but in the meantime, I found a few additional points and sources that touch on what was already discussed. And uh, at this point, I can already see we're not going to even finish in part two, so I know there's already uh, part three, so you don't have to feel like we're in a rush. We can take our time, hopefully not overdo it. Um, So yesterday, we summarized in short the... Just in a few words, the Torah discussion, the halachic discussion, uh, mainly with regards to Yidin themselves. And of course, when it comes to that, it doesn't really matter what the law is. We obviously, we ask Rav, we follow halacha. Also, summarize the political debate. Just want to add briefly, in addition to that, that... There's been a lot of polling done on what uh, public opinion is. So on the one hand, when, they, when people are asked whether they support overturning the court's decision as it stands, as, as it stood until now, almost 50 years, 50 years. So the, there's a majority that says they're, they're against, they're opposed to overturning it. However, if you ask people Individually, specifically, do they think that abortion casually is okay? Do they think in the third trimester is okay? So then you, you tend to see that there's a majority against those particular things. So perhaps one could uh, explain or describe what, where people's views stand as being that most, the majority, would essentially prefer the way it seems to be in Eretz Israel where it's not fundamentally a right in every situation, but whenever there are reasons that are broadly considered good reasons, we're not looking to get in people's way, we're not looking to make things difficult. And that's because in Eretz Yisrael, it doesn't seem like there's any strong Jewish religious movement to try to make things more difficult, to enforce the law more strictly. So people consider those types of limitations to be reasonable. Here, where there does seem to be some kind of religious or semi-religious agenda to try to crack down and prevent people from, from doing this, even in situations in which, where most people think it's reasonable, so perhaps people view the decision as it stands as being the protection that stands in the way of who knows what might happen down the line, but ultimately most people would agree that this should be practiced with, within reason, a person should have a good reason for doing so, and most people would not identify with the uh, more extreme uh, brand of people running around saying, you know, abortion is great, it's, it's wonderful, we celebrate it, etc. Getting back to what we were discussing, so I, uh, yesterday I went through different references from the Rebbe to the subject, particularly the way the Rebbe addressed what was going on in Eretz Yisrael, in addition to the famous letters to individuals. So I mentioned there's, there's 
interesting line of Ayakal Amad Gimel about Choyka Apala. Uh, while, as far as I know, there was nothing going on in Eretz Yisrael at the time, as opposed to the United States. I still haven't found any additional information on that. But then, as I said, as the year, a few years later, starting from 74, 75, 76, there was this law in going through the legislative process in the Knesset. And that's when we see the Rebbe uh, addressing this uh, very specifically in Bayikra Lamad Vav with regards to the law and how, it, how it, uh, it applies and affects Jews. So, in this context, I would like to add that uh, I looked it up now. If you look in the Hapardis, so Hapardis was a journal that was edited by Simcha Elberg. He was the head of the Agudas Rabbanim here in America. And if you're ever interested in the history, if you ever want to know what the Frum Oilam was excited about at any given time, so that's a good place to look. You get a lot from Eretz Yisrael there, but you see what the American Rabbanim were picking up on with regards to Eretz Yisrael, which things got them exercised. And uh, yeah, it's just a, it's an enjoyable read. Quotes the Rebbe there a lot as well. We know that he had, of course, a connection with the Rebbe. So if you look in the issue of Ir uh, Alam and as far as I could tell, that's the first time. So Hapardis begins with an, with an editorial, Chok Hapalot Malachutiyot. And he writes that as of now, so Nisan Ir Alam the Knesset passed, or uh, I don't know what the correct, precise terminology in English would be, but the, this law was Hachlata Bikri'a Rishona. So to understand what that means, if you follow Israeli news, maybe you've seen this terminology, but many or most parliamentary systems use uh, a system that originated in England in which a law has three readings. The first reading, the second reading, and the third reading. And after the third reading, that's when a law is passed, becomes law. But uh, the previous steps are also important. Here in the United States, we also have our stages and phases to a bill through committees, etc. So, but the Kriyari Shana doesn't mean the law is fully passed, but it means it's certainly generally well on the way to being passed. So that's, it seems, what happened then, and that's why the Rebbe was already referring to a law in Lamad Vav, even though generally it's described as being from Lamad Zayin, Lamad Ches. So there's a Kriyari Shona, large majority, he says, to permit abortion, make it official now, and isn't this rehabilitation for murder? And till now where abortion was uh, illegal and it was difficult, they still managed to kill so many uh, fetuses. He says some, this, some claim that it's already been a million, a million abortions in Israel up until 76. A million Jewish children might have been born if not for, if not, if not for this. And isn't that the same amount of children that were murdered by Hitler? And if that's the number you get when it's illegal, imagine when it's legal. Some say it's only been 100,000 until now. You should know that the Rebbe, when the Rebbe referred to it, the Rebbe said that last year alone there was 50 or 60,000. Those that say that it's only 100,000, but still a lot less than the number of Jews that were killed in the Israeli-Arab wars, etc., etc., in this direction. So that gives you some more background if you want to understand what the Rebbe was referring to in Lamed Vav. And in Adel Ahmed Zayin, Apartheid printed a letter from Moshe Feinstein from the end of Shvat. And Moshe was writing that everyone in America had to speak to the community about speaking 
up and protest about this law of abortion in Israel. So you see how engaged the community was in these types of things. Again, in this, Elberg writes about it again and says, he reports that the law has been fully confirmed and passed with support, with the votes, which yesterday in the interim won the election. They were leading the coalition. America is far from perfect. Well, and battle to prevent itself is voting in favor. What does he mean by that? So, what's the distinction making between America and Israel? So either he means that America has all right, sort of dictated for part. I'm not a major constitutional and legislative expert. I think theory, possibly Congress have been able to overrule something like that. Or at least, to whatever extent, for a significant minority of Americans who were battling this, uh, this decision through the years. Anyway, this gives a bit more context to what the Rebbe, where the Rebbe was coming from in Lama Dvav, and in the years that followed, and we see how the firm world, world was reacting, and we see how the world was reacting. And again, as far as I know, I cannot find found any idiot reaction to the American decision here in 1973, which doesn't prove anything necessarily, because it's harder to search all uh, public search for it as uh, works. It's harder to for Jewish responses in I checked through the issues of Arthas, and I didn't see anything. The reason for that might be is just on that time, Shlomo Goran, David Hatter, Infamous Hatter, really, I think, January 3 was exactly the same time. So, uh, look like the Rabobo Parks really exercised and agitated about that. Well, so perhaps overshadowed uh, what was going on here. Like. Now, what pointed out to me, though, that this is real, that's involved in politics to some extent in America. So, as we know, this is real, one of the primary things they do is they do get involved in legislative affairs. They lobby, usually in areas that are related more directly to how Judy can be Makayim Permit or But actually, later, as far as in later years, a good sister actually did involve itself. This question about what ought to decide, and I'll quote from an article written by Rabbi, Rabbi who writes on the, in the name of the Just a few days ago, a few days after the news broke, he wrote an opinion piece in NBC News. Article is entitled "Why Would Wade Being Overturned." We have court of abortion, such as in Planned Parenthood versus Cat versus Katie, over the world. And this is 92. Torture. 1992 opinion of Elbert did provide some limitations. So, he's obviously, also fun. McCoy is 92 about this, where he's quoting and referencing it right now. And this is uh, 
in this context. He adds, is a Judaism abortion. There are many Jews who face the unfettered to abortion, Jewish religious movement that wholeheartedly embrace Yerbo, which means non-Orthodox. No source of Jewish legal tradition considered abortion to be a quote-unquote right. That can be changed to Judaism considers a fetus something other than a baby, it considers it the responsibility of women and men to be concerned about not babies, that is, potential lives. There's no reason, of course, for Americans to reflect Jewish religious values or any others, but Americans believe that the abortion issue transcends parochial concerns. Non religious considerations, good similar to many folk of Roe, considers the 1973 Lamb decision. Be jurisprudentially faulty for having magically pulled a shiny new race out of the constitutional hat and to have been societally unhealthy for opening the floodgates to mass feticides. So he's sort of twisting his way around justifying a good decision. Now, looking at the first, but it just seems so egregious that uh, we can't help get on board. For personal freedom with basic life, as a reversal will do, strike me as while the howls of outrage in that scenario strike me as overthought. At the same time, I heartily welcome a reversal of Roe. I have concerns about what might follow, such as legislation to four feet of the full rights as a or that abortion is an exception. There are cases the opposition not need to be available, like when a pregnant person the of the potential mother, Jewish law. In fact, requires abortion. Obviously, he's referring to some other religious people that go far more extreme, at least potentially. Majority of Americans links to surveys. I, I suppose there are also pregnancy as genetic abnormalities face a fatal disease birth. Some Jewish sources consider that a circumstance in which a woman might be sanctioned to undergo an abortion, including the, the issue that's known as the Tzitzilias. This is why Good Society of America has never supported any legislation that wholesale outlaws abortion without exception. So he's kind of saying the right that was that was that was uh, expressed in that decision is so extreme and so egregious that you don't even have to be religious to find it offensive. We're not supporting any particular law in any particular state. We leave it to the states to figure out how to balance. It. We hope that they balance it in a manner that's more in line with our views and more extreme. But it's interesting, not even in, not even speaking the name of Hashem, it's been this is a sense that uh, has seem like they filed any briefs this time around, but it doesn't hesitate to mention that they have in the past. They go on in this vein. So just to give you some perspective. So of course, if you're true prohibition, it doesn't distinguish uh, you. But here is an example of involved while trying to keep things sounding reasonable and hopefully appealing to the majority of the population. Again, not trying to pass restrictions, just trying to eliminate the overstated rights. Which is similar to what I mentioned about it seems like they fought against the clause law that went on in permitting people to get permission for an abortion. 
the law in its entirety, even the law in its entirety also uh, goes beyond the law. So this all emphasizes again, considering Allah has handled at least three years, about what happened right away. Yet we see the Rabbi didn't take this all in any way or fashion. And like I said, you can see that the firm world had even developed a position at the time. Like I said sometimes the Rabbi is content to remind others, but it doesn't seem like they had developed an opinion. So you would expect for them to say something. So that would illustrate that point. What I do want to ask the record of what the Rebbe said on this topic is that actually two clear from the Rebbe with regards to abortion and the context of Hanus. Now really, I was preparing this yesterday, I remember the famous talk, conversation between the Rebbe and the new Sagar Rebbe at the time, almost touching men. That's generations before all the excitement you may have heard about recently. The column now is known now as Ikri Abirim. So he was the, the new Rebbe and Thomas Tafshin. They came and had a conversation with the Rebbe. The Rebbe would, when the Rebbe wanted him to visit. So the the topic of uh, policies to encourage birth came up in the conversation. And the Rebbe said, that we can structure it such that it only applies to the Jewish population. Disagreed, which is seemingly very surprising. That's why I'm surprising it is that in how one would agree that population numbers themselves secure threat. But I went back and looked it up, and I found that there's not a line there that's actually directly relevant to what we're talking about. So I told him in this context that a few years earlier, uh, the Minister of Interior, who said was in that he controlled So they, they were proud, maybe the police, whatever it was, that women in the United States, Jerusalem, have gotten against whatever the mark for children that they had. And uh, why, I guess, why is the Rebbe not condemning that? You would think you would maybe expect the Rebbe to condemn that. The Rebbe, the Rebbe says, they asked me why I'm not differentiating between Jews and Arabs. So the Rebbe describes himself as having answer. Rebbech gesagt, Eshtens is alpidin abenoyach mechuyiv oif l'shevas yitzara. Which is actually not so poshut at all. It's its own discussion. We're not going to get into it. Dernach is our mechuyiv oif hepech haritzicha. Bastos is enef von di sheva mitzvah b'nei noyach. Dernach is ayid mechuyiv zen az abenoyach zomekayim zayin zayin mitzvahs. That's how the Rebbe quotes himself. Is actually a pretty important source. Because here the Rebbe is literally talking about our responsibility that we have towards them in this area, in this arena. One can also note that the language of the Rebbe again here is Hepech Haritzicha, which ties into what I mentioned yesterday about the discussion over the Rebbe's language 
when the Rebbe refers to this, using the word Yitzchah, is that taking a side in the halachic debate, and in addition to the possibilities that I said then, you can add the pulpula, that here the Rebbe is not talking about Bnei Nayach, so maybe for Bnei Nayach it's Taka, uh, like Ritzicha Mamash. But, like I said, the overall context, though, is that I've been saying we should therefore give them grants. We should also include them in these policies. There was no additional context or significance to the Rebbe saying, and therefore, and therefore we should include them in these policies. While I found that, I found another sikha from Shlach Tavshin Mem. At this time, those months, the Rebbe was talking about family planning, as is well known. Recently, there's a whole article written up in English summarizing all of those sikhs uh, and minus. So if you look in Shlach Tav Shemem, you find the Rebbe says, A nice of Tadem, Basmat Geret, Vegan family planning, Benegei Tzayidin, as Medarf is Shailazain Meikara, Darf Menzichoich Mishtadlazain, so the Shailazain Oichba Bnei Nayach. Vidadamban Paskent, as his doa mitzvah of Ayidin, so Bavarin, as Bnei Nayach Zalon, Mekayim Zain Zayre, Zayin Mitzvah, Mitti Allah Snifim. It's our responsibility that they keep it with all the details. On Babri Nayach is Oich Dod, their Indian from Prayer Verivia, Varam Le Tayu Brawl, Ashavas, etc. That repeats that point again, which we're not getting into. But Nayasif Lazar, Kame in Yonim was Metutin Dem, Indian, Zainin and Indian from Ritzicha and Gzela. Gzela also. Was der Fahrer darf man das bewahren, euch bin ich zu sehen. Durch den Ruf, was man wird reden mit der Goy, wird das gut verpeilen, euch auf sich, dem jeden allein. So, Rebbe, unprovoked, so to speak, just brought it into the conversation and said, by the way, the Yitz Mechoyev and Bnei Noyach Sheva Mitzvahs, they have, per Verivia, they certainly have the Indian of Ritzicha involved here, so therefore it's bewahren, and it will ultimately, uh, reflect back and help us as well. So again, the context here is having influence, but it's very clear that the context is specifically positive influences, pro-large families, a, 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 you know, a message that's pro-having a large family, which is what the overall message of all these sikhs were even to us. So it's also worth noting, though, that these sikhs are there. Back to summarizing where we were holding. So then... Continued, I, we brought where we see how the Rebbe did get involved with the fight over the law in Eretz Yisrael. We emphasized how, in contrast to that, as far as I know, there's utter silence about this issue here in the United States. Pointed out that already in the end of the 70s, you started hearing voices within the firm community that we need to side politically with the right, and they're fighting for our values against the left that's trying to undermine and destroy our values. And of course, it's only that uh, notion has only spread in our community since then. But again, like I said, it seems like total silence from the Rebbe on this issue. I know that some say that, oh, you look in the Sikhs, you can see that the Rebbe is, has favoritism towards Reagan, which is, I would say, debatable, but that's not really what uh, we need to get into here. But... But even if, without turning it into a political and a partisan matter, and let's not forget that the Rebbe did take many controversial stances, as if the Rebbe shied away from controversy. The Rebbe took all kinds of controversial stances, both with regards to Yisrael, Shleim Yehudi, etc. But also within the Jewish community here in the United States, you go through the Sikhs and the, the Lamans, there's a lot of 
fire being directed at the reform uh, Jewish community, etc. But I've definitely jumped on onto hot issues. And of course, due to the whole Shlemus Haaretz thing, so in Eretz Yisrael, there definitely is more of a feeling that Chabad identifies with the right in Eretz Yisrael and not with the left. And in fact, the Rebbe would use this terminology, right, left, Yemin small when the Rebbe was speaking in the context of Eretz Yisrael. So you also get that idea from there. So, but even if the Rebbe wanted to avoid that here in the, in the U.S., and even if the Rebbe didn't want to get pulled into these controversies, but surely the Rebbe could have expressed here and there what we truly believe, what we truly think should be done, if only, even if we're not making it a priority. And yet, haven't found it. So now we're almost up to where we were holding, where we were up to. I started pointing out that if you're from Yid and you're very exercised and excited about this topic, the question I would ask is, is this purely a result of Torah, Torah Shittas, Aymetis Benayach, or are there external influences being swept up in political passions? So I started mentioning how there are other issues you should per, per, perhaps care about. Uh, like I said, what about laws that relate to that? Or what about policies that relate to that? So now that's now we fully caught up. Now let's continue what I wanted to say. So from Ritzicha Tavid Zara, someone actually right after the shir, someone said, "Oh, what about Avid uh, Zara here in America, Christianity?" I said, "That's literally the next sentence that I wanted to say." So there's a political problem. There was a political issue here in America which the Rebbe did address because while many who leaned to more towards the left were against any financial support for religious schools separation of church and state, the Rebbe was in favor, I, the outcome is that you end up providing support to Christian private schools as well, which we seemingly treat as a very desire. So the Rebbe wrote a number of responses to that. Broadly, in my opinion, the Rebbe did not, seeming, did not just come straight out and say, oh, it's not a very desire. That's not my understanding of the Rebbe's response to that unlike what others wish to claim. And that's really its own topic and discussion. What does Shittuf mean? What does Leinet Stavola Shittuf mean? And I touched on it actually a little bit last year. Spoke about it a bit, and how Christianity is uh, referred to in the big picture in Shulchan Aruch, if you look throughout Yeridea as well. And it's actually come back up again recently as a result of the Hashmatis from the Alter Rebbe Shulchan Aruch, which has this passage and there were those saying, oh, so now we see finally on the record that Alter Rebbe also holds the Lenin Stavo Alashitov. And I had a big debate with someone about it recently, and maybe we can turn that into a share sometime in the future. But what it looks like from that whole episode is that the Rebbe's first consideration isn't necessarily a literal adherence to Shavimitzis Nayach. Because if that was your top priority, so then you probably don't want any funding to strengthen that. To, so I was, I was giving examples of, of issues that might go politically in the other direction. But let's go back to right-wing causes. Let's move on in Shavu Mitzvahs to Dinim. How does the Ramba define the seventh mitzvah of Dinim? Chayavim la'ayshiv da'yanim v'shayiftim In every, in every di- district Ladun b'shayish mitzvahs elu V'lahazir es'am So their job is to enforce the other six and to admonish people to let people know what the laws are and if you violate them you're put to death by sword 
Sounds like that's part of the dinner. So, the death penalty for any of the other Shava Mitzvahs is one of the Shava Mitzvahs. So if so, that, the next question would be, shouldn't we be fully in favor of the death penalty here in the United States? Death penalty today is essentially exclusively used for murderers. Almost unheard of for a non-murder offense to get the death penalty. So, perfect. We can at least, at least get them to do that. Murderers, Chayv Misa, they'll do it. Here's an opportunity to shape the law in a, in a manner that brings it more in line with the values of Shavu Mitzvah So now here's where I want to pause my broader thoughts about this topic, and I want to focus a little bit now on this specific question. And this is how we'll finally arrive at some of the more Tayyidic halachic uh, sources. Because, in fact, there was a big controversy about this, the death penalty, here in New York in the 70s. Uh, someone pointed out to me, pointed out that if you look in Rabbi J. David Bleich's book, Contemporary Halachic Problems, Volume 2, Part 2, Chapter 17, so there's a chapter called capital, about capital punishment, and this is where he addresses this question. Someone else pointed out to me, another that is also printed in Hebrew elsewhere. So the article in English starts as follows. During recent years, reintroduction of capital punishment has been a matter of debate in the United States. When he says reintroduction, that's because there were no executions in the United States between 1967 and 1977 because the Supreme Court was trying to figure out what its opinion was on the topic. So this is afterwards. So now the question was, once the Supreme Court confirmed that it is okay for states to have the death penalty, should it be reintroduced? He was writing in the I tried and could not pinpoint what year that book was printed and maybe what year the article may have appeared previously in article form, but he's clearly writing after 78. He mentioned 78 in a moment. In particular, this question loomed prominently as a major political issue in the 1978 New York State gubernatorial campaign. So what was that? So... In 1978, the election for governor in New York was between the incumbent, who was the Democratic governor, Hugh Carey, um, who, uh, the picture of him sitting with the rabbi, had some connection with the rabbi, as was common at the time. And there was a Republican assemblyman running against him. And the Republicans in Albany at the time were trying to pass the death penalty in New York. And Governor Carey promised that he's going to veto it. And in fact, he did a number of times. And this was a huge issue at the time. And of course, this Republican uh, foe was representing the other side of the issue. And of course, this was a period of uh, high crime rates. So that also tied in very much to this issue and influenced how people thought about it. And it was, it was far from simple. And those who write about it describe that, you know, in this case, Governor Carey literally took an unpopular position, which is... Surprising, you don't necessarily expect that from a politician, but he was going against popular opinion, but he stuck to it. Um, I found a description from the Washington Post back then that writes from during the election, Carey opposes capital punishment and has twice vetoed bills that would have restored the death penalty. This Republican opponent is solidly for capital punishment, and polls show that most Democrats defle- defecting 
to the Republican are death penalty proponents. So this was the issue at the time. Black continues, statements and editorials which appeared in certain Anglo-Jewish newspapers claim that Judaism not only sanctions capital punishment, but that its elimination constitutes a grave breach of divine law. So, the Jewish community was weighing in on this topic, was getting involved. What's he referring to? Anglo-Jewish news, certain Anglo-Jewish newspapers. So, I found a reference from a different magazine in 78 that says... The Jewish press, which claims the largest circulation of any English-language Jewish newspaper in the world, endorsed the Republican because of his stand on the death penalty. So this, is, this ties into what I mentioned yesterday about the election in 1980 and the Jewish press taking uh, Reagan's side and beginning that uh, trend in the firm world, even though Aguda and those types were still with the Democrats. In fact, I found online that Rabbi Victor Miller, who I mentioned yesterday, and who presented this uh, a very strong political uh, stance on this issue, so he, address, he addressed the topic as follows. On one tape, he's recorded as saying, the purpose of revenge is in order that wrongdoers should be punished. We must be angry at wrongdoers, and that's why it was a very great crime that a certain Orthodox Jewish organization worked hard to get Governor Hugh Carey elected. That Orthodox organization committed a great crime against the Jewish people, because the restoration of capital punishment is of the utmost necessity for checking crime. And you should keep in mind that these people, the Orthodox group who fought to have Governor Carey elected, have done a very big disservice to the Jewish people, because revenge is important. And it functions so that we should be angry at criminals and wrongdoers. When people have atrophied their natural instincts, when they lose that feeling of revenge, that's when crime flourishes and justice is no longer practiced. This was November 78, I guess right after the election. Another tape he's quoted as saying, And so, how long, how long, fellow Jews, will you be blind and you'll vote for such people like Governor Carey? You don't even think twice. Such a Russian Russian. Carey is the one whose hands shed the blood of all these innocent victims when he vetoes the bill for the death penalty. Carrie is the arch-murderer. Etc., etc., etc. All the Jews who support him are shedding blood. Fine. That was the environment, the climate at the time. So, so even before 1980, as of 78th, you already have Victor Miller and the Jewish press aligned against the Aguda. This was the inspiration for Rabbi Bleich to write this article trying to be a little more, uh, you know, instead of just using rhetoric to ex ex examine the Makaitis and see what the Makaitis say, we'll get to it in a moment. So, this is Dafka, a time when there was much confusion, conflicting messages in the firm world. And again, do we see anything from the Rebbe on it then or any other time? As far as I know, we don't. So, now I want to focus a little bit on this topic and on Bleich's article. Now, if you look at the article, you could tell that seemingly he's trying to reach the conclusion that we don't necessarily have to support the death penalty. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that seems to be where he's heading. So the question is, is advocating for the death penalty, does that mean we're actually getting them to do Shemitah's B'nai'ach? Or maybe it's also going to have unintended consequences that we don't think are right. So this is how he defines the questions. Number one, do they have the power, Bechlau, to uh, 
perform capital punishment ever since the Sanhedrin stopped? Number two, can they give capital punishment even if it's just circumstantial evidence? Number three, if there's a king, does the king have the power to administer capital punishment if there's circumstantial evidence because the king has extra power? And four, this power, this king's power, does it, is it restricted to Jewish kings or do non-Jewish kings have it as well? That's how he defines the questions going into it. And that's the direction he heads in. Because the Rambam, the Rambam writes here, Ruben Noyach Nerag, Be'ed Echad, Ube'dayin Echad, Be'loy Asra, Ve'alpi Kroivim. When you read through the parak, you get the impression that there'll be a lot of, a lot of killings if we were uh, to follow this very literally. We'll get back to that as well, Mitzvah Shem. But the truth is that today, most murder cases don't exactly transpire even with an aide echad who says, oh, I know you, you're my friend, oh, you're my neighbor, oh, you're murdering that person, oh, I just witnessed that. That doesn't tend to happen, really, the way you would imagine it from learning Mishnayis and Gemara. Oh, even if he does know him, it might be a fellow criminal who's sitting in prison and is cutting a deal, which raises its own questions. So generally... In order to prove a murder, they're using evidence, what he calls circumstantial evidence, that this guy must have been the murderer. And he is essentially aiming to make the argument that that's not included, the death penalty in those cases would not be included in Shav Mitzvah Zbrinayach. That brings us to the, to the gather that's called Mishpatei HaMalucha, what he calls the king's justice, which is described in the beginning of Hochus Malachim where the Rambam says that the king has permission, has the right to kill in many other situations where it seems fit to him. You see this particularly at the end of Paragimel of Malachim, murderers who, there's no clear evidence. But the first one being, the king has the right to carry out uh, 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 penalties as he sees fit. And he can kill many in one day, etc., etc., to make a statement. So the question is, if this applies also to our government today. So at the end, he concludes as follows. In summary... You found the marker. says clearly that circumstantial evidence is acceptable in administering mishpatei amalucha, and it definitely seems to fit with the Rambam. So therefore, you would assume that this applies to courts today that want to follow Shemitz Benayach, which is also the position of the Eretz and the Maram Shik, which he quoted. He says no compelling argument has been advanced in support of this thesis, meaning. I and say what they say. No, no, I'm not convinced. He says. Even if you assume that they do have this power, we could still conclude that they only have the power if they want to, but they're not obligated to. So, therefore, current death penalty legislation allowing for imposition of the death penalty on the basis of circumstantial evidence cannot be viewed as mandatory from the perspective of Jewish law. We're not fully committed and arguing that this is a chiv. <coughs> While a strong argument may be made that they could, but even the existence of that power cannot be demonstrated beyond 
argument. So in my opinion, going through his piece, I don't find it to be particularly strong and persuasive. Because, first of all, he found Makaris. He literally found Makaris that say so. He's just saying he's not convinced. And I'm not so clear why he's not convinced, or why it matters whether it's a chiv or not a chiv. What's wrong? Why would we be against a law like this, even if it's not a chiv? And if our values, as Rabbi Victor Miller claimed, demand that we enforce the death penalty, and the, it already exists as mishpat hamalucha, so what's preventing us? It has to be a chiv in order for us to support it. So we're going to get to that shortly. That is one of the questions, yes. Seemingly, if the law is on the books, we're closer and more in line with the values of Shavu Mitzvah than before. That should be enough, no? I want to add and address that some might make the argument that there's no point of any laws that are in line with Shavu Mitzvah as long as it's not done with the right without that, who cares? But I would argue that that's not correct. Number one, isn't the reason why these laws, why these mitzvahs are universal? Because they're necessary for a normal society. So seemingly the result is, is just as good, even if you don't get there the right, the right way. Number two, I believe Rabbi Weiner in his Chashva Sefer on Shem Mitzvah B'nai'ach Lamaisa, which do tend to get back to Mitzvah Shem in part three, I believe he has a whole mahalach there to explain why it's not Ma'akev, doing it with Pnei and number three, we Eresh just quoted from the Rebbe. The Rebbe said that we should want to influence Goyim when it comes to family planning, etc. The Rebbe never said there's a condition that you have to make sure that's what patients see what it sounds like. You want to spread these values. That's my response to that. Now, there are those who are Mitzayim. There's actually an interesting uh, letter from Ramesha Feinstein that's addressed from Purim Memalef, a bit later. It's addressed... Etc., etc. Now, who is the Sar HaMedina? So, if you look it up, and it's referenced a lot in different English articles, the Chlukideus. Some say it was written to Governor Carey, which I guess fits with the fact that we know that the governor was interested in this topic. But others say that it was written to someone in the Reagan administration. And I found uh, an article where one of the uh, Tendler family. I think Aaron Tendler quotes it and he says it's to, it's to Reagan so maybe he should know so it, this is in Igris Moshe Chelek Zion which is Chayshem Mishpat Chelek Beis Simen Samachas Be'inyan Aynash Misa Purim Amalaf to the Sarah Medina so the Sarah Medina had asked this question he says first of all I'd like to express my emotions it's so special do you want to know Tyra's opinion you acknowledge that Hashem's Ratzin has been transmitted from generation to generation by the Chach Mehadar. Wow, so special. And you're confident that I will have the answer, that I'll be able to tell you what Hashem, what the Torah has to say. And then Ramesha goes into this very roundabout uh, presentation. He says, on the one hand, the reason why we have the death penalty in the Torah for murder and kidnapping and Arias and Abedazara because then people feel like it's a free-for-all. They could do whatever they want. It's not out of hatred. It's not out of vengefulness. I guess he disagrees with Rabbi Victor Miller on that. Because um, that we leave to Hashem. Yovei But it's just to make sure that society knows the severity. That's how he defines the purpose, the function of Ein Misa. 
On the second hand, he says, we also care about the sanctity of life, and therefore, Dinah Nefashas is something that we're very, very conservative about. Only Apisan Hadjrin, only the top Kedoyalim, Beyeser, and Chachmas Atayra can be involved in the Sanhedrin, etc. And all the other conditions you need to have to be in the Sanhedrin. And you can't even have an elderly person who may have forgotten Tsar Gidl Banim or someone who's childless, maybe they're lacking Rachmanus. And you need to have a 23 member Sanhedrin. And you need to have other Shudas of Gedoyalim Batayra that are sitting in front of them. But they also, they can speak up, they can catch a mistake. And you can't be done dini misa, dini based on umdina, even the greatest umdina, even if it seems very likely, you have to be shneid and kshedim, etc., etc. A lot much in this vein, you know, and that's why misa almost didn't occur. Only and you need to have the Sanhedrin of Shemvechot, or even greater. That's why we haven't been down in the Fashas. And still, we almost don't find Ramesha says that they were Jewish murderers. Why? Because they had a Torah education. It wasn't because they were afraid of any punishment. Okay, so the drift seems to be that maybe we're not so into it. And he says, that's all when there isn't runaway murder. Chazal, Torah is talking about a situation where there's a, a, a crime of passion, a particular situation uh, ends somehow in a murder. But if there's just constant crime as we have today, because murder has lost its, uh, you know, its, its severity, or there's just a large quantity of murderers, so then, how you done in Lamigdar Milsa Lamnoya Maiser at Sikh Shuhat Salasamadina? So then, you want to maybe you know, commit, enforce the death penalty, which strengthens society. And with that, he says, Vini Chaisim Mavrachal Asar Hamadina, Shinal Hamadina Batadak Obiyasher, da 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 da, Mavarachai, he signs his name. This whole letter is very interesting. The question is, what is Ramesh even trying to say here? What does the whole thing about Sanhedrin have to do with this? Seemingly, when it comes to Bnei Noach, there's nothing about being so uh, careful and concerned and what does this have to do, and it's not totally in Sanhedrin, and maybe we'll get back to that. But then, finally, the final thing I want to talk about for today is I found a very interesting, interesting shuva from this period in Rabbi Nasha Klein's Mishnah Halachas. And you always know that you can always expect some... Uh, an interesting response for Menashe Klein, especially when it's an interesting topic like this. So in Mishnah Allah Chelek Tess, Simon Shin Tzadik Vav, is a tshuva b'inyin i yesh lo'eder das ha'kol atakin ha'choyk l'areg ha'ritzayach adam, and it's back from 78, from Tishrei of 78, and it's addressed to Rav Agoyin, etc., etc., of Rom, Daiv Hecht, of the Igor Darabonim of Artis Abris. He says, I received your letter, and I, the letter had been sent earlier, I only got to it now. The Shaila is, right now there's a Sharuria Gedoyla in New York about the death penalty. Should we be enforcing the death penalty? Halolo Maiminim, Halolo Masmeilim, there's the right, there's the left. If Igdar Rabbanim should jump into this debate and tell people that we should influence to reintroduce the law and bring it back, back to when they used to perform the death penalty on murderers, and particularly since the, the murder rate has shot up, and they seem to be unafraid of the consequences, of, they certainly don't fear being killed, 
It's also Pasha Negea to Pikuach Nefesh, considering the crime rates. And since Benayach are Mitzuvan al Adinim al and we are Chayev, those people say, to ensure that they keep the Shavah Mitzvahs, and maybe to help their laws be more correct. So, Bazai, there may be a Chayev Gomer, we need to get involved in this uh, election and make, take a stance. Or maybe, the question that you mentioned, maybe they're going to catch a Jew, unfortunately, who also did something like this, a murderer, and they'll put him to death. That, uh, that's not something we uh, advocate. And then we're going to be responsible, B'day Shemayim, that our policy, our stance led this year to be put to death. So maybe that's why we shouldn't get involved. So he says, Taka Shved Shaila. You're asking Dina Nefashas. Dina Nefashas is something we're not done now. So who could say an opinion about it? But, so I'm going to say my piece, he says. So he starts by quoting the Gemara Sanhedrin, Amr Rabbi Yechanan, Shev Mitzvah, and Stavr Beninayach. And then there's the Dinin. And there's two drashas as to where we learn the Dinim from. And the question is, what Dinim, when we say Dinim, the seventh Mitzvah, what, what is Dinim referring to? So there's more of a discussion beyond the Ramam on this. So there's a famous Shuvah of the Ramah and Simbin Yud, of this Shuvah. This, this is the Machleka Samirayim. The one is saying that we have our own dinin and they have their own dinin. They pass their own laws. And the other opinion is saying that no, when they write their legislation, it has to be a P. Even though the Ramam wrote that dinin just means enforcing uh, those six, but how do you define Gezel? So you need to go to Shulchan Aruch in order to define Shulchan and then they can be done. Gezel. The Ramban, he says, seems to agree with the Ramah. The Ramban al in the context of Shechem and Dina, famous Ramban. The Sheilta seems to be opposed to the Ramah. Okay, there's a discussion. Anyway, we know B'nai Noach have a tzivi of Dina. He says, well, you said that it's Pashat that we have to see to it that they are Mekayim, their mitzvahs. Ramnasha Klein, Acharedi Paisik, not so simple. Well, we're responsible for them to do their mitzvahs. So it's quoting different Mekayis, don't want to get bogged down too much. Mentions the Machlekes, these Hungarian Rabban, the Machin Echaim, and the Ramshik. I think I've quoted both of them before last year. Machin um, says that our dinim don't influence the Gaim so much, they can have their own. And even if Chazal say something, Leisoser doesn't apply to them. Madame Shik says, no, we're fully on top of where being mamed their shayftim, we're micromanaging their justice system. So you see, there's already machlekes apayskim as to how involved we are in their justice system. He says elsewhere, I've said that it's essentially machlekes of the Rambam and the Ramban with Shechem and Dina. The Rambam says they were punished, they deserve to die because they didn't punish Shechem. So they didn't do mitzvahs din, and so they were all chayiv misa. The Ramban says, no, that can't be. That seems to correspond to this question. It says elsewhere, I said there's also a chinuch. There's also a chinuch that talks about this. It sounds like that we are mechayev to be on top of them, like the Rambam holds. But the Chinuch says, when they're tachas yadenu, when they're tachas yadenu, when we have control, then we ensure that they're following their laws properly. So, where that's not the case, maybe we have no ischayvos for their dayonim, for anything of that, we have no arvos. So who says we care? Maybe we absolutely don't care at all. So it's not only 
And he adds, not only do we not have a chiv now, seemingly, for the, to see to it that they're Mekayim Shavah Mitzvahs, but in my opinion, even Bizman Shiyad Yisrael Takifim, where according to the Paiskim that say that we're on top of it and we're enforcing it. That doesn't mean that we're supposed to see to it that they're Mekayim, they're Shavah Mitzvahs. We're just responsible to punish them for not keeping the Shavah Mitzvahs. Where does it say that we need to see to it that they do it? I, Tadaf and Rambam, we all know, every Lubavitcher knows, Lakif is called Boyo Elam. So, okay, that seems to say pretty clearly. He says, no. He means that we should enforce the system. We should come and introduce it and say, look, from now on, we're punishing everybody who violates these laws. Once we've put that in place, the message has been put out. Now we can abdicate all responsibility. We take no personal interest into whether someone is doing the right thing or not doing the right thing. But a second someone violates one of the mitzvahs, then we have to kick in and put him to death. That's how he wants to formulate it. Huh? The moment that... He's just trying to define it. Right now the question is, should we take a proactive stance in shaping their laws? So he's saying that it's up to them to figure out what to do. If they're doing it wrong, that's their problem. One day we'll punish them for it, but why do I have to, why do I have to push them at all to do things better, to do things more correctly? That's, prob- I would say probably uh, the, f- the, the frame of mind, the mindset. I, like I said, I think the mindset among uh, these types is that what we have to interact with the guy obviously the, the simple meaning of the Rambam as the Rebbe understands it is clearly that uh, yes of course we have an Achrayas and we want the world to be a better place and the purpose of these mitzvahs is for there to be an Olam uh, you know Matukan so obviously that means you want to be on, on, on their case throughout the law that's how he wants to argue he says truth though is that one of their mitzvahs is to punish the other ones. That's one of the Sheva mitzvahs. And someone who's a murderer should be put to death. And they can't change the halachas. It's not like they can pass their own laws and their din and, say, and overrule the din that says that a They can't come and say, well, our din and say otherwise. We're being Makai mitzvahs din and therefore he's not Chayav Misa. No, we can't say that. That's something that I want to really talk about in part three. But he's taking. But the, uh, the, the standard assumption is that, of course, they can't override the punishment. And even if they all come together and they vote to change it, it's nothing. And they'll all be chayiv misa because they're all over on dinim. So it's not just about encouraging them to be good people to keep mitzvahs. Aviritzeach is chayiv misa. That's the outcome we want. And we know that etc., etc. The Chamtzvi says, the guy who sees another guy being over and Shavu Mitzvahs, he has to be done over Hargayal Mekayma. He's the aid, he's the dying. He has to carry out vigilante justice uh, like in, in that situation. So Yabazai, if they're already chayef to have shayfteh, man, to put these people to death, and otherwise, they won't do what's proper. And there's also and whenever there's no more malchus, they get more and more violent. 
Surely mutter lazarzam lazar. Kol shekain kshenegeh gamlanu. We're also victims. If there's no meramachas, you didn't also get killed. So. And much of what he's going to say here is obviously shaped by the frame of mind, the mindset that many from Yidden in New York were in at that time, which was that they felt, uh, we felt very much under the onslaught of violent crime. And he says, what about another problem? Even if they're chayv and dinim, but there's also dinim about the dinim. The shayfet has to be al has to be al alacha. So l'mashal noshim are not kosher to be shayftim. Ladun, Mlarag, even though Nidan Alpi Dayan Echad, but the Dayan has to be an Ish, not an Isha. So, Bazai in our, in our country where the judge might be either. So, uh, what if the woman uh, passes the, the judgment? What if the woman uh, uh, gives the death penalty? And again, what if the Yid gets trapped in their system? Maybe that's why we shouldn't get involved, because they'll do it wrong. But La'achara Yishuv, after reconsidering it, and this is the direction he goes in now, even though ordinarily he wouldn't be so excited about uh, getting involved in influencing, but like I said, seemingly the crime problem is shaping the rest of this discussion. So he says, they're supposed to be performing capital punishment. They're supposed to be doing the death penalty. And we're just trying to move them along to do what they're supposed to do. There's no answer in that. Maybe it's even a mitzvah. And the outcome will be good. There'll be fewer murders. And we'll save many hidden who are falling victim by the murderers week after week. He says, I got statistics that every week on average, at least two Jews are killed in New York. I haven't checked his numbers, but that's what he says. So that means a hundred Jews are killed a year in New York through these murders. So if they have the right judges, great. And even if they have a woman... No, that's not our achrayas. That's their problem. They got it almost right. They did something wrong. That's their mistake. The shayla is, he says, what if they do the wrong thing and she's appointed? Would her din be a din? Or would it not be a din? He says, there's all discussion about Devaira, Isha Seems like, even though you're not supposed to, but at some point the Eden did. Seems like her judgments were binding. Maybe, even if it's wrong to do, but maybe once... She's elected, she's appointed. Maybe even the Torah would acknowledge that the din is a din. Aye, what about a yid getting pulled into the system? And we'll be at fault. So he says, no. And for the last 2,000 years, wasn't the government putting uh, Jews to death? Putting murderers to death, including Jews? Not our problem. He says, that's the taina of the liberals. Taina of the liberalim. That they want to eliminate the death penalty altogether. Because they have this Rachmanos on one Ritzayach, right? Because of one Ritzayach, maybe, they feel bad. Maybe we're going to kill one person who doesn't deserve it, or whatever. What about, or, or, they, or they're weighing the life of one murderer versus the lives of all his potential victims. So, arguing that what if a Yid gets caught in the system is like the liberals. You're like, oh, you, you care about that one Yid who might get killed versus all the Yidin that are being killed right now. We have to save the Yidin from the murderers. If there's one guy who goes and that's his fault, he's a Mahabad Atzmaladas. Why did he uh, go and commit that murder? <laughs> Obviously, one could potentially question, we know sometimes that the justice system actually uh, sentences the wrong person. So what if they sentence a Yid incorrectly? It doesn't, doesn't consider that question. He's assuming that there's so many murderers that surely they, uh, all the people they catch are genuine, the, genu- the genuine article. 
he quotes a Gemara and Nida about the idea where sometimes uh, it's also to, to save someone. Shum Sakanas Nafashas. And now he quoted Tzemach Tzedek, but not our Tzemach Tzedek, the first Tzemach Tzedek who lived in the 1600s, Nikolsburg, Menachem Mendel Krachmal, he was the first Menachem Mendel Bala Tzemach Tzedek. So he has a tshuva, shtickle famous tshuva, about a yid who was killed on the road, and they know who the murderer is. And they can actually uh, get the law to go after him. Can the community force his relatives to get the ball rolling, to make sure he's punished? So the Tanakh Tzedek said, you have to force the family to get involved, and that's related to the concept of Gael Adam, and even if there's no Gael Adam, it says based in, back in the original din of Gael Adam, based in Mamidin like Gael Adam, so there's a mitzvah to get rid of the Ritzayach, and if you can't kill him, so you can, but you can spend money on lawyers or whatever it is to get the authorities to do it, so you have to spend all your money, it's a mitzvah, not only you have to spend your money like any other mitzvah, to teach your son Torah, you have to give your son a bris, so you also have to spend money on this, you have to spend money on that if you can't do it yourself. So the Gail Adam has this responsibility. And you can't say that no, all Gail Adam in the Torah is talking about a Yid who killed another Yid. This is a guy that killed a Yid. No, the guy is even more of a Svara that uh, we want revenge, no? So you have to pay all the expenses to the judges, to the Lord, whatever it is. So you see from the Semach Tzedek that there's a Chi of Gail Adam to ensure that justice is meted out in any scenario of murder. So sorry, we see Yidin being killed. It looks like their blood is Hafker. So we have a Chi of Gail Adam. I is a Chavis Yoyer that says, what about a Yid who killed another Yid? Is there a Din Gail Adam is Manazeh to go now and kill uh, the Yid, the murderer? Chavis Yoyer said that Batlu misses Beistin, Din Gail Adam is Tali misses Beistin, so Din Gail Adam is Batlu. Sounds like he's disagreeing with the Tzemach Tzadak. However, in Nimuke Maharam Mirzburg, Earlier in Germany, end of the Rishonim, I think, he writes, Pepshidus, there isn't in Gaila Damazmanazah. So you see it's Machlekes Apaiskim, at least. And he says, even the Chavis Yar, Chavis Yar was talking about a Yid who killed another Yid. Then he said, there's no Mrs. Bastin for a Yid. But if the guy is the one who committed the murder, he would agree to the Tzemach Tzedek, there isn't in Gaila Adam, because their Dineim are still, are still active, and they're Chayev, Al Pishava Mitzvah, to put that guy to death, even Mizmanazah. So maybe even the Chavis Yar would agree. There'd be no disagreement. If someone says, no, maybe the Kravim have to be the Gail Adam. And even then, the Kravim technically have to be Lafi the Kloli HaYerusha. Ramam says, in Hilchus Yitzayah, Kol HaRoy LiYershay, Hu Gail Adam. Meaning from Dafka, from the father's family. So whoever's not a Gail Adam can't get involved. So I believe the Rabbanim shouldn't get involved because we're not technically the Goyal Adam of all these uh, victims of, of, of homicide. He says, no, how burcha, that's not true. So the Tzemach Tzedek said that even if the Goyal Adam doesn't have enough money to see the process through, or they need to spend extra money, so then we shouldn't make the guy pay even more, and we're afraid that the Kravim aren't going to fight for, the, for justice. So therefore, everything else, going schar militis, militis I guess would be paying someone to speak on our behalf, apparently bribery is just uh, part of the process, so all those uh, expenses should be from the call. 
ultimately, the call is responsible on the hook to make sure that this is seen through. Otherwise, we'll be, our, our blood will be kafka. And he says, that we would go after the Reitzchem. And even if we knew that we wouldn't be successful, but we had to fight to show that Yiddish blood is not Hefker. That's what that Tzemach Tzedek says. So you see two things. Number one, there is a Din Gael Adam. And number two, there's a Chiv on the community to also take a stand up for the victims. So Yiddish blood is not Hefker. Otherwise, every year on the road will be in danger. No one's even uh, following up. So everyone has to get involved. And even if you don't know who the Ritzayach is, so you just, you make noise. You make noise, oh, we're, we're trying to scare the murderers, we're trying to intimidate them. This is all important. So Kol Shekim is Manazazak Klein. We have all these, all these reasons apply. And there's so much danger surrounding us every day. And every day we see how one day a woman is attacked, a man, a boy, a girl. As much as we can. If we save even one yid, what about a yid getting stuck in their system? I already said that for his suffolk, we shouldn't save other yidin right now from a Mr. Mishuno. We should be mafkir, yidish blood. I already said, that's the Tainus HaChafshim, the Civil Liberties Union. That's what he writes. The ACLU. They're the ones fighting against the death penalty. They want to protect the murderers. And that's why we don't have the death penalty anymore. And that's causing all the murder, he says. So, someone who goes ahead and actually commits a crime and gets caught, that's Mohammed Atzmeladas. He knew, if there's a death penalty, he knew that he should have known. I, Saif Kol Saif, we should never do that ourselves. And even adds, the chas v'shalom l'moyisrelem, so according to Menashe Klein, if a yid commits a murder, chas v'shalom to hand them over. That's in line with his famous views on the Siddha. But here, we're not actively, it's just the law will ultimately entrap him. That's not our problem. Then he quotes, they have Chuvas Makaitis, about how the worry shainim in Spain, the word done, either chiv misa, or they uh, uh, chop people's limbs off. Interesting makaitis we have about that. The rush has chuvas, about cutting a woman's nose off, and things like that. And either there's a, there was a prit, there were parats ba'aveda, or the goyim had more stringent laws themselves, so if the Jews were not enforcing similar laws, it looked bad for the Jews. So there's this whole history and context for that. So with that in mind, so if for those types of reasons they were they did carry out Misa, so surely here we're saving Yiddish lives. Surely we should want to get the non-Jews to to carry out the death penalty. At least it's Lamigdar Milsa. And again, Khasvashalam that we would be saying if we didn't have fascists to have a year directly killed, that we can't do. But this is overall Migdar Milsa. He concludes, he says, if you listen to me, I would say that we should create our own committee of lawyers or important people that should be the counterpart to the Civil Liberties Union. The Civil Liberties Union is out there defending every murderer. So we should have an organization fighting them that gets involved in every court case to make sure to see to it that the murderer is put to death. And wherever they, they detect the judge being lenient, they'll intervene and try to point to the laws on the books and try to increase the punishments as much as possible. And even if we can't force everyone, 
but we can at least organize a committee like that and they can try as much as they can wherever they see especially with this Yiddish victim they should be the girl Adam together with the girl Adam Hamiti and then they'll see that Jewish blood is not Hafker and will be a Kiddush Hashem Ukmaisha Ba'emes also the crown heights of Williamsburg and it helped so maybe even more intervention in the courts would be helpful so sort of leaned a lot on these other points but along the way he also discussed this question as to whether we should be seeing to it that they are Mekayim the Shavu Mitzvah it seems like he kind of accepted that that's a good point although he's not fully on board with the whole idea of Stam telling people what to do with Shavu Mitzvah considering these particular circumstances surely there's a lot of precedent for that and he ends off with his wishes and I think we'll pause this discussion here but that in short or, or at length was the, the the controversy the debate that you had in 1978 with death penalty you could see how Rabbanim did intervene at the time did uh, say their position their opinion uh, so this gives you another another idea as to what that might look like what a world in which we're giving our giving our input uh, stating our opinion about American law might look like and again like I said it seems like the Rebbe was not involved in this at all but Ram Hecht surely was in touch with the Rebbe and as far as I know nothing from the Rebbe on this to be continued <laughs>